Listener Production. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is The Science Briefing. It's May, and so today, we do this every month, three science stories from last month that you might have missed or that we didn't get to cover, but definitely want to give a mention. Every Miazgan Cosmos magazine journalist, you're here today to walk us through these. Yes, and every time I do one of these, I pray that there's three dinosaur stories we're doing, but... I know we we managed to get one in. We got one in. All right. So one dinosaur story. We've got toxic birds. Don't know what that's about. So fun. But the first story now, a dilemma with a rocket from old mate Elon Musk. Things didn't go too great with a recent launch. Yeah. So this is the Starship rocket from SpaceX, and it launched from the SpaceX launch site in Cameron County, Texas. It made it 39 kilometers up into the atmosphere above the Gulf of Mexico, traveled for about four minutes all up, and hit speeds of more than 2,000 kilometers an hour before the scheduled separation of the first and booster stages, so the different stages of a rocket break up before moving on. Instead, it appeared to tumble, and then it exploded. A few minutes after this happened, SpaceX tweeted about the rapid unscheduled disassembly. Yeah, so Evram, I watched this in real time, right? And they even brought up uh-huh. this eventuality again and again before anything even happened. But rapid unscheduled disassembly, that's just a fancy way to say it blew up. <laughs> yeah, basically. In an actual statement, SpaceX confirmed multiple engines had failed to fire after liftoff. Uh, it's worth mentioning this was just a test rocket and the complete test intended for Starship to continue for another 100 kilometers into space before re-entry. So it did nearly make it, I guess, Mm -hmm. before blowing up and not making it. (laughs) But look, edging ever closer. There are a number of other super heavy rockets in development, and Musk has said the next flight test is expected in the coming months. Yeah, so you're getting there, Elon, but maybe not just yet. Yeah, we'll see. Next... Birds with poison feathers. Evram, is this real? Yeah, apparently. So it's actually two birds (gasps) uh, who've had their statuses updated. Their feathers contain neurotoxins. There are two species, the Regent Whistler and the Rufus-naked Bellbird, Mm -hmm. both common songbirds found in Papua New Guinea. Okay, so what does this even mean, Evram? Toxic feathers, what's, what's this all about? Yeah. So they weren't born this way. This is a trait they likely develop, and it's believed that it comes from their diet. So they eat melarid beetles, which contain high levels of batrachotoxin, which is an extremely potent neurotoxin. Ingesting these toxins then comes out in the plumage of these bird species, so their feathers. And what's really interesting is that these are the same class of toxins found in the skin of poisoned dart frogs in South America. That is intense, Ephraim. Right? Scientists believe that these frogs obtain their toxic skin by feasting on these beetles. Okay, I am curious though, Ephraim. This really sounds like a Spider-Man situation to me. So rather than dying from eating toxic beetles, they are inheriting their abilities. Uh Uh-huh. Like, obviously, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. But yeah, why aren't these birds getting sick from them or dying? I mean, can I eat beetles and then grow toxic skin? Like, tell me. 
look, I, I'm I'm not going to endorse this kind of behavior, Sophie. <laughs> so you can do whatever you like. Okay. I don't have the answers around how it would affect you. Can't promise uh, poison skin. But for the birds, at least, the answer is in their DNA. These toxins are resisted because of mutations in the genes that code for functional sodium channel proteins in their bodies. Okay. And so a bit more on these sodium channels. They regulate the flow of sodium into your cells. And for most species, if they're exposed to these toxins, their sodium channels will stop closing properly, which is what can cause them to die. But these birds have a mutation. Their sodium channels are fine. And so they're not affected in the same way as other species can be. This is low-key hectic, ever. Yeah, these are amazing findings. But like many things in science, the local communities have known about this for a long time. It's only now that it's been described by Western science. Right. So, But generally, maybe don't handle these wee little birdies then. Yeah, for you or me especially, or any person who isn't aware of toxic bird feathers being a thing, maybe stay away from them just in case. And now, Evram, to round things out, dancing back to dinosaur land, as always, you never fail to make at least one dino discovery mention when you're on the show. And that's why we love you and keep you gainfully employed here. Thank you. What do you have for us today? So it's a sauropod, namely. Uh, A 95 million year old sauropod skull was found at the Winton Formation in Queensland. And Winton is part of the Dinosaur Triangle in Australia, which is basically an area where heaps of dino fossil discoveries have been made over recent years. Yeah. This skull is the most complete sauropod skull fossil in Australia. Oh. It's from the Diamantinosaurus Matilde, which is part of the sauropod family, which is the family known for their long necks and tails and massive size. Mm -hmm. The skull is from an individual nicknamed Anne. Anne would have been a sub-adult, meaning an animal which isn't fully an adult yet. It was 15 metres long and weighed somewhere between 20 to 22 tonnes, which is about as much as four African elephants. Oh, chunky old Anne. Yes, Anne would have been very healthy. So it's cool to discover bones, but scientists say this skull will be crucial to understand more about its behaviour, what it eats, and also how big its brain was. Anne's skull also adds to earlier suggestions that Australian sauropods are closely related to South American sauropods, which is cool because it tells us about how this dinosaur lineage came about and the relationships between dinosaurs across continents. Evram, thank you so much. I love it when you come on the show and do recaps with us. Of course, Sophie, and always good when there's a dinosaur involved. Always. Evram Yazgan is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. You can read more of Evram's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. If you like the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free or just catch us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. And I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.